Emmanuel Faith, we're doing church online a little bit different this week, um, obviously because of the coronavirus and um, the health concerns for our local area here. Uh, it was, I think, about six weeks ago that started to hear some talk about this virus on uh, the news app that I listened to driving into work, and um, I never would have imagined that we'd be here having to go online uh, with our services and I just want to acknowledge that I know that there are a lot of different feelings about that um, some people have reached out to us really glad that we made that decision um, other people have expressed frustration that we're fear-mongering or living in fear and I, I just want to say I wherever you're coming from on this I, I get it um, and um, I see you and and I'm with you but yesterday when our local government put down the mandate that we can't have gatherings over 250 people um, and that they were suggesting that even in smaller gatherings we maintain a six-foot uh, space in between the participants um, we really didn't have a choice at that point in time and so uh, we've taken church online for the next uh, for, for this week at least and we'll continue to evaluate but one of the things I've been thinking about as a follower of Jesus is that we have this tension uh, between two sort of um, uh, two things that we want to embody as people of, of faith. And the first is that we would choose to live in faith over fear, that we don't want to be people who make decisions based on fear. In fact, I'm going to talk about that as we explore the scriptures together today. But the second is that we uh, don't want to make decisions based in foolishness rather than wisdom. And as I've been thinking about that, sometimes um, what we call faith might actually be foolish, foolishness, and that we call what we call fear might actually be uh, wisdom. And so there's this tension, isn't there, when we find ourselves in a situation like we're in today. Uh, this isn't the first time in, in the sort of history of, of um, the globe that we have been in a situation like this. Some followers of Jesus have been known as people who keep their their head, their faith, during difficult times. I mean, you think back to um, original followers of Jesus in the first and second and third centuries um, who were being put in Roman Colosseums and being torn apart by animals. There was um, one researcher who would go and study people. They weren't allowed in that day and time to touch a dead body. There was too much fear about um, uh, getting sick, but they could examine people as they were dying. It sounds grotesque, but Claudius Galenus, this early uh, Roman historian, talks about the way that followers of Jesus died with such peace uh, because they were so confident in the fact that they were saved and redeemed. We also saw followers of Jesus in the second and third centuries and fourth centuries subsequently when there were uh, plagues that broke out, that Jesus followers were the people that 
took the sick into their home. They were the people that cared for the dying because there was just this confidence that Jesus has saved and Jesus has redeemed. And because he walked out of the grave, we will one day too. And so death has lost its hold and sin has lost its sting. And so we have been people who have kept our head during difficult times. And so what I wanna do today is explore how we can choose faith over fear in our current cultural moment and how we can be people who live in wisdom rather than foolishness. And so we're going to dive into the scriptures today. If you have your Bible, will you open with me to Matthew chapter 8? We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 27 together. You know, Jesus did a lot of teaching his disciples about how to be people who live in faith rather than in fear. See, that was, I would argue, one of his main teachings to his disciples because in any situation in life that we find ourselves in that's difficult or that provides some sort of disorientation to our normal everyday lives, we have a choice. Will we live in faith or will we live in fear? And so right after Jesus got done calling his disciples to follow him in Matthew chapter eight, and he says, let the dead go bury their own dead, but you, you come and follow me. He immediately takes them on this field trip where they are called to put faith into practice and against fear. So in order to teach them how to live in faith over fear, Jesus took his disciples on sort of like a field trip. If you have your Bible out, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. It's a passage that many of you are familiar with, but listen to what Jesus, or how Matthew records this interaction. He wrote this, and when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. They, they did exactly what he called them to do in verse 23. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. I've often wondered about this scene and what it would have looked like in that boat with these professional fishermen who we're going to find out in just a few moments are terrified. Um, what the conversation was as they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the sea that's uh, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, in the middle of it being absolutely ravaged by waves. I mean, do you think that they might have had the conversation, whose idea was this? I mean. And they look at each other and talk and they're like, it was Jesus's idea. It's Jesus's fault that we're in the middle of this lake in the midst of this storm. And he has the audacity to sleep through his quote unquote brilliant idea. It's this tension that I think we have to wrestle with. That oftentimes God puts us in situations that stretch our faith. And those situations sometimes on the surface cause a lot of fear and anxiety and questions in our mind. And so I'm sure that they ask, Jesus, uh, it was your idea. And even if we look through the scriptures, we see we see this theme come up over and over again. Uh, I, I think of Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Listen to the way that that passage reads. It says, now these are the nations that the Lord, the Lord left to test Israel by them, that all in Israel who had not experienced the wars in Canaan. And it was in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. 
So what the author of Judges says is God actually left some of the enemy nations there in order to teach the people about faith, in order to test their faith, in order to move them forward. See, oftentimes in life, our faith needs a fight. We need something to engage with. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this situation. But that can be troubling for us. I mean, let's just admit that there are moments in life where it really, really seems like we need faith and we need God to show up and he's silent. He's silent. I I mean, look at um, Psalm chapter 13, starting in verse one. And the psalmist is just so honest and listen to what he writes. He says this, Psalm 13, verse one. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, this is a a theme of people crying out to God, wondering where he's been. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? And this is a tension that we live in as people of faith, that there are times when we need God to come through. There are times when we want God to show up and it seems like God is silent and it seems like God isn't there. Or maybe, or maybe, or maybe, it seems like there's a storm that's raging all around us or a virus that's breaking out around us or jobs that are closing down or schools that are closing down or or maybe even that there are grocery store shelves that are just absolutely emptied and it feels like Jesus is asleep in the boat but here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing there are moments in life there are times there are seasons when God is going to invite us into situations that are disorienting for us, where we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go. But it's those seasons of disorientation that are an invitation to faith. See, I would encourage you to write this down, that when life is disoriented, those are the moments when our faith is actually deepened. And we're going to see it with the disciples on this boat. And my hope is that we start to see it in our lives collectively in our community of faith as well. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that the walk of faith is sometimes more like a wrestling match with God than it is like a walk in the park. And so they, here's what the disciples do in verse 25. It says, and they went and they woke him saying, save us Lord for we are perishing. Wouldn't you love to think that faith is sort of this like submarine that puts us under all of the elements of life, but that just isn't the way it works. And as we said, the things that disorient us most often deepen our faith the most. And so life, the life of faith is often ignited in moments like we find ourselves in right now, where we don't have all the answers and where we need to let go of control. Or maybe as Barbara Brown Taylor said, we need to let go of the illusion that we ever really had control. One of my favorite authors, Mark Sayers, this is what he wrote. 
about moments like this and about the actual power that's available to the life that's willing to let go of the need to control. He said, in the storm, God shreds you of those parts of you that battle him. Those who would avoid God's holy storms fail to feel their pain, but they also fail to grow. So what if disorientation is actually one of God's greatest gifts for growth? What if moments where we don't have all the answers are actually the moments where we are positioned, if we will choose to live by faith rather than fear, to be strengthened? What if those moments, and see, here's my guess. My guess is if you're watching this with a group of people or maybe even just think about it for yourself, my guess is it was those moments of uncertainty, those moments where you in the, were in the fog of life, where God actually strengthened you and actually built you and actually started to fortify a life of faith in your soul. See, I can remember the very first time as a pastor, I was a young pastor and somebody sat across my office from me and said, Ryan, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. And as a young pastor, I sort of wrestled with that. I mean, uh, something that's not of God, something that's, that's, that's sickness and uh, part of the fall of the world, all these things, that's the best thing that ever happened to you? And what they were saying was, Ryan, this disoriented me. This shook me up to the point where I had to relook at life in a little bit of a different way. And God actually used that to build my faith. See, I think the things that shake us most severely have the chance to shape us most significantly. The scriptures would affirm the same thing. I mean, the brother of Jesus, James, writes to the churches and listen to what he says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. So things that come into your life that you didn't expect, that you wouldn't choose, and that you'd love to fast forward through. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces perseverance, some other translations would say. And steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect. So don't pull out too quick. Hey, when you're in the fog, don't try to zoom right through it and just get through it. But let endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Other translations will say that you might be mature, that God might do a work in your heart and your soul. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Moments of disorientation, or the fog as it were, moments of disorientation don't automatically produce faith. They don't automatically deepen faith. See, it's the way that we walk through those moments that has the ability to deepen our faith and strengthen our soul. And so the disciples are gonna teach us what that looks like as they interact with Jesus in the midst of the storm on the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So it's these moments of disorientation that can either develop or destroy our faith. And the disciples teach us what it looks like to walk into faith in the midst of the fog, even though they're scared. And so there's this really interesting pivot point where their boat is filling up with water. I mean, imagine this, you're in the middle of a sea that you've been in for, I don't know how many days of your life as a professional fisherman that utilized this lake. The storm is raging, it's dark, they're scared. And so here's their question, as the boat starts to take on water and they're thinking, listen, we might die here. 
they have this question <laughs> to answer. Are we gonna start bailing water or are we gonna wake up Jesus? <laughs> are we gonna try to take things into our own hands or are we gonna be the kind of people who cry out to the Lord? Are we gonna be people that get cynical and get bitter and get angry? Are we gonna start bailing water and pull up our bootstraps and try to respond on our own? Or will we be people who cry out to the Lord? And see, the first thing that you see that the disciples do, and I'd encourage you if you're writing these down, I hope you wrote down that main point about the times that disorient us often deepen us, they deepen our faith. But the second thing I'd want you to write down is that we've got to recognize in the midst of situations that could provoke fear, we've got to recognize and admit our need. Our need, that's what the disciples do. They don't bail water, they wake up Jesus. See, faith says, I can't do this on my own. Faith says, I can't be the captain of my own ship, the master of my own soul. And so there's two primary ways that we do this. First, we cry out to God directly in prayer. And I don't know where you're at with this whole current health scare, but I do know that my guess is over the next few days and maybe even weeks that you're gonna have some more time of, of solitude and quiet than you did before. And I would encourage you to use some of that time in prayer. Cry out to the Lord. Tell him, if you feel like he's asleep, <laughs> tell him. I love this picture of the disciples going over to Jesus and just grabbing him by the shoulders and Jesus, hey, uh, newsflash, it's a storm and we're in the middle of the lake and our boat's taken on water and we need you to do something and we need you to, to come through for us. Tell him, cry out to him. But the second thing that I would encourage you to do is to cry out to community, call out to community that you don't need to walk this road on your own. I mean, we can't be together in, in large groups right now, but you can have people over, you can have friends over. One of the greatest gifts of being a Jesus follower is that you don't walk alone. One, God's always with you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you, but you're surrounded by a community of faith. And what Paul says is that it's this community of faith that God gives us so that we can give comfort to them with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God, we get to be a comfort to those around us. So don't feel like you have to walk this road alone. Call out, cry out to other people and, and cry out to God. It's one of the things that the disciples teach us. So the disciples, they, they reach out for help. They go and instead of bailing water, they, they wake up Jesus and listen to what Jesus says. It says, and he said to them, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? And why are you so afraid? Um, well, Jesus, because there's a raging storm and because our boat's taking on water and hello, Jesus, maybe wipe the sleep out of your eyes a little bit. We're so afraid because of the circumstances that we're in right now. And I just wonder what Jesus's tone was, don't you? I mean, depending on how you view Jesus, you might view his tone differently, but is it, oh, you have little faith, you failures, what are you doing? Is it, oh, you have little faith, I'm so disappointed, or is it, oh, you have little faith, there's a better invitation right here. Did you know that the command the Bible makes most is do not fear or fear not? 
That's the strongest command, the, the most prevalent command in all of the scriptures. 83 different times we're commanded, do not fear. And it's often this place of fear that I would argue is the beginning of faith. It's the time where we're going to have to decide how do we move forward. See, fear can be a really good thing. Uh, fear is the ability to project into the future what might happen based on your current circumstances. It's the reason that we can avoid life-threatening situations. It's what gives us imagination. It's what gives us the ability. It's what separates us from animals. I mean, it gives us the ability to make wise decisions, but it also can cripple us. There's a reason the Bible talks about it so much. Do not fear because it can paralyze us. It can absolutely shut us down. I mean, you think of our current cultural moment, not only coronavirus, but you think of uh, politics and ecology and all sorts of different things going on in our world right now that could have the potential to cause us fear as followers of Jesus, questions about religious liberty in the future and all sorts of things. And so the question we have to wrestle with is, God, how can you turn the situation that initially landed in my soul as fear? How might you want to transform it into faith? See, and, and you might not you write this down. This isn't one of my main points, but I think it might be one of the most significant points for the place we find ourselves today is that fear is a great place to meet Jesus, but it's a terrible place to leave Jesus. That when life starts to get difficult and when life starts to get hard, it's a great place for us to meet Jesus. It's a terrible place for us to leave Jesus. I mean, I think of, um, I, I think of lodgepole pines, you know, these pine trees that in the, the only way that these uh, pine cones turn into a seed is through the fire. That's the only way that they can actually grow and become what they're intended to be. And I think that that's the way that our faith works. And so here's what the disciples do. In the midst of this storm, they don't only recognize their need, they reaffirm their trust. They're going to come to the place where they say back to Jesus, Jesus, we trust you. We trust that you're the Messiah. We trust that you're the, the living God. If you want to flip forward to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter, as the representative for all of the, the disciples, looks back at Jesus and says, we believe that you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You don't look like what you, we thought you'd look like, but we're the one that, you're the one that we were hoping for. And it's this affirmation that Peter will make that I think he begins to make in the middle of this boat. They all begin to make in the middle of this boat in the midst of this storm. They start to recognize uh, this, he's, he's different. And so when Jesus confronts the disciples and corrects the disciples, I think gently and I think with love in his eyes and said, um, why, why are you so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Notice what he's doing. He's, he's drawing this juxtaposition between faith and and fear. And he's inviting them, like Peter will do later, we talked about, to put their faith in, in him. But in order to do that, they've got to recognize what their faith is in already. 
See, and I think that's one of the things that challenging situations, disorienting situations do is they unearth for us sort of like a storm that pulls back a few layers of dirt. That it's these moments in life that unearth for us what our faith is actually in. I mean, is our faith actually in our, our health? Is our faith actually in the stock market and in our 401k? Is our faith actually in our family? What, what's our faith actually in? And then we're called to reposition that faith, to reaffirm faith in, in Jesus. And so that's what the disciples are being called on to do. And that's what they will do. Storms give us the invitation. They cause us through disorientation to redirect our gaze, the gaze of our heart, and to put our affection back on Jesus. And, and here's, here's the truth of the matter. Your faith is in something. <laughs> is it in something that's eliciting fear or is it in something that's eliciting confidence? Your faith is in something and the posture of your heart will be determined by the position of your faith. So whatever your faith is in, that's going to direct the course of your life. And so listen to the way that this passage begins to come to a close. It says, he says, oh, you have little faith at the end of verse 26. He says, uh, Matthew records, and then he rose, Jesus rose, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now, this is just really interesting, a sort of a side note. If you go back and you read verse 24, it says, and behold, there was a great storm. And then Matthew, being sort of poetic, says at the very end of this section, he says, and now there was, end of verse 26, a great calm. A great calm that, follow, that, was, that followed the great storm. And then he says this, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. They, they move from this posture of fear to this place of worship. You know what's really interesting is that the Jewish, to the Jewish mind, the, the sea or even like a lake was a, a place that was viewed as almost primordial chaos. It was unordered space. The Jewish people were really afraid of the sea. They, were, they feared the ocean. They weren't great sea travelers. It was something, something about it seemed uncertain. Something about it seemed chaotic to them. And so when Jesus says to the storm that's taking place over this lake, when he says, be quiet, be still, and immediately there's this great hush. I mean, imagine all of these little ripples on this lake just stopping right now, the rain stopping right now. And the disciples go, oh wow. <laughs> like you, even, Jesus, you even speak into the chaos of life. You speak into the circumstances that we have zero control over and that we have fear over. You speak into even those situations and you speak a word of life. So we see this, that we're called to, to reach out, to, to recognize our need. We see that we're called to reaffirm our trust. And now what we see in, at the end of this passage is that we're called to realize his sovereignty. I love the way that the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper put it when he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine.
mine. Now, sovereignty doesn't mean that God is like a puppet master or where he controls every little thing. What sovereignty means is God can do anything, anything. And so the disciples see it and they're called once again to reaffirm, God, we believe that you're capable of doing anything. If God is strong enough to stop the storm, I think that also means that we have to believe he's wise enough to know whether or not he should and when he should. See, there's moments in my life, yours too, I'm sure, where there was a storm that was raging and, um, and, and Jesus didn't quiet it in the way that we thought he should. This last week, we, uh, my family celebrated what should have been my mom's 65th birthday. And I can tell you, um, we begged Jesus to quiet that storm of illness and sickness. We, we gathered around her in prayer and we believed in faith that he could do whatever he wanted to do. And one of the greatest questions I have in my life is why he didn't answer those prayers in the way that we thought he should. But I came to this place of recognizing, Jesus, if I believe you're capable of doing anything, which I do, I have to also be convinced that you're wise enough to know what you should do and the timing of what you should do and to trust that you know what's best. And maybe in the midst of this, what feels like a chaotic situation in our life, in our culture, in our place right now, maybe that's the invitation that Jesus is giving to us. You know, I read this story a while back where um, the author Robert Louis Stevenson, he told a story of his son who was on board this ship where the, the um, sea was just chaotic. And his friends were freaking out. And they sent his son up, go talk to the captain and figure out, are we going to all die up here? Like, what's the deal? Is this going to go down really, really bad? And he went up and he came back and he talked to his friends and his friends asked him, well, what did the captain say? And Robert Louis Stevenson's son said, he didn't say anything. He said, I just looked at his face. I saw his face. We're gonna be just fine. We're gonna be just fine. And maybe that's the invitation in the midst of what feels like disorientation and is, and what feels like chaos and in some ways is, is to look at our savior's face in the midst of the storm He's not concerned. He's not thrown off. He's not surprised. He's got you in the palm of his hand and he's really, really good. See, in the midst of this whole section about fear conflicting with faith in the midst of the storms of life, I think what we're called to recognize is that faith is in no way, shape or form ignorance of the storm. We don't have to ignore the storm. We don't have to pretend like it doesn't sting and it doesn't hurt. We don't have to ignore coronavirus and pretend like it's not there. Um, it, it's a reality right now. Um, faith isn't ignorance of the storm. It's awareness of the presence of Jesus. And it's that awareness of the presence of Jesus, that reverence for Jesus, that pulls us out of fear into the place of faith. And so as we navigate this and we walk through this together as a community, not meeting publicly right now, but as a community still, praying for each other, being united in prayer, getting together in smaller groups, 
worshiping, reading the scriptures, as we navigate this together, spending some more time in silence and solitude and in the scriptures and studying and reading. My, my hope and my prayer is that we would reject the narrative that says we have to live in fear, but that we would recognize the presence of our Savior with us in the midst of it all, that we reach out to Him, that we reaffirm our trust in Him, and that we would recognize His sovereignty in it all. So here's just a few questions I'd invite you to, to journal today, if you have a chance. Um, What's the storm that you're walking through right now? It may not be the one that's affecting our whole community, but my guess is there's something in your life that feels uncertain and disorienting. What is it? Write about that a little bit. And then I'd invite you to write what your conviction is about who Jesus is in the midst of that and what faith looks like in the midst of that. And then I would just invite you to pray a simple prayer of trust. See, here's the reality, you guys. Regardless of how hard the storm rages, the storm whisperer is in your boat and he's good and he loves you. Hey, really quick before I close, there's a great painting by Rembrandt uh, that's entitled The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. I would invite you, Google it, spend some time and look at it and look at the different faces of the different people on that boat and see which face and which posture, which emotion you resonate most with. Hey, I'm praying for you. If our staff and our church can be of any help to you during this season, please don't hesitate to reach out. We love you and we're praying that as a community, we would walk boldly in faith with Jesus in the midst of, well, the storm. We love you, have a great week.